Today, we're sharing a story we've shared before, our real-life love story of finding hope and recovery from pornography addiction. Neil and I talk about our dating journey and how he shared with me three months into dating that he had an addiction to pornography, what that looked like through our courtship and early marriage, some of the struggles we went through trying to find solution and find recovery, and what finally worked for us. Today's part one of two, so make sure you come back next week to hear the second half of our story of finding hope and healing through the 12 steps of recovery. All right, today I brought my favorite person onto the podcast as a guest. Hopefully I'm your favorite. Say Sometimes. Hello. Sometimes. Last night we got in a fight over cookie dough, but... Sometimes you just want to eat cookie dough, <laughs> regardless of who it belongs to. Oh my gosh, but today I have... My husband, Neil, here with me, and we're going to tackle a topic, kind of a heavy topic, but something that's super important to address, especially since it's something that we often get asked about and we've been very open about in the last little bit over a year. So we are going to talk about addiction today, addiction recovery and solution, finding solution for Addiction. Specifically, pornography addiction. That's kind of been my struggle my whole life. And then, you know, working that out through through the recovery process, as I would call it. The recovery, call it. the process of the 12 steps. Yes. So, super appreciative of Neil and his really like when people are like, oh, you guys are so brave. I'm like, it's not me. I'm, it's not bravery on my part. It most definitely is, though, on Neil's part. And that's part of the steps is step 12. And we decided long ago when we did the steps that once we both got to 12 and were in a position to share what we knew and share what worked for us, we wanted to help people. So that's why we opened up about this a long time ago, but we've, we haven't had the chance to share that part of our story on the podcast. So that's what we're going to do today on Mint Arrow Messages. So let's take it back to 2009 when we met and started dating, started dating in the fall of 2009 and Things were going great at first. I was just very smitten. Neil told me that he loved me and he hadn't said that to anyone after he, after his mission, after he grew up and became an adult. So I was like, man, this is really like, he is just like my dreamboat man. And then what, then what happened, Neil? (laughs) Well, Three months into I us I think dating. you can you can hold up a facade only for so long. I mean, no, I think I, I – no, I'm just kidding. But I think it was all – it was great. I think we had a great dating relationship and and obviously like I I knew and, and, and there was so much like solid potential in our relationship. But my whole life I had battled with, you know, just challenge after challenge with pornography. It's something that I'd struggled with since – I was a young kid and, and then, you know, thought that I kind of had it nipped at the bud and, and going, serving a mission for the, for our church, the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and thought that I was cured and then came back. Um, and then it, you know, kind of came back around for me and then became this ongoing struggle. And so in my dating relationships, I think that it kind of kept me from progressing in dating relationships to into courtship or marriage, because I kind of knew I'm like, man, I, I just don't know if this person that, that I, you know, care deeply for is going to accept me. So that was how I was feeling with Corinne. I was like, okay, this is so awesome. And she's so amazing, but I know, you know, she has very strong values and principles and, and testimony of, you know, the gospel and our church and the things that we believe in. 
But one of those things, you know, those solid principles is not doing anything to damage yourself spiritually, which, you know, for me or in, in general, that pornography is one of those things that, that spiritually can be detrimental. And I think we should address that quickly because there will probably be people who will listen to this and maybe feel differently about what is or isn't appropriate or whatever. And I have two things to say about that. First of all, in our religion and in our belief system, that's just part of like what we both believe that, like Neil said, that damage, you know, that pornography can damage your spirit. And that's something that we both are aligned with, first of all. But second of all, there will be people who will question like, well, what does addiction mean? And since we've been open with our story, we've had that question. And my response to that is whether or not you believe pornography is a bad thing, I think all people can agree that there are people who can have a drink. And whether you believe or not that alcohol is good or bad, there are people who can have a drink and walk away and be fine. And there are people who, once they have one drink, they have they have to have 15 because that's what an alcoholic looks like. And there's definitely that same degree of, you know, people who find addiction in anything. A lot of people like to debate that. But for me, and, and basically this is just me sharing my, my own experience, my own story. Everyone's story is different. But I do find in meeting other people who struggle with a similar addiction that there are common themes and common things. Um, and so I've identified, a lot of people I have, have identified with that spiritual damage and, and the feelings, the negative impact that pornography has on your life in general. And so that's something that I personally self-identified with and came to the conclusion of this is just what's causing me, you know, challenges in my life. And it's not just because of something I was taught, like, oh, this, you know, pornography is bad. So you're going to feel bad if you do it. Um, it went beyond that, I think, for me. I, I think there, for me, it was something that I saw independently from my own experience. I didn't like the way that it was, you know, changing changing me and and spiritually affecting me. And the um, obsession was different, and, right, than, yeah. than like the average person that, I mean, there are people, right, who can look at something and they're going to, yeah, it's going to be, yeah. have a different effect on them than, like, like I said, the person that's going to take one drink exactly. and walk away I from mean, the, the bar. The fact of the matter is, is the day and age that we live in right now, I think I can confidently say on some level, everyone will be expo exposed to pornography on some level. Maybe, you know, that, that can vary. But it's, it's a, it really comes down to what do you do with that? And, you know, there's a lot of people that are exposed to it and then they walk away and they're okay and it never becomes an issue. But I believe, and from my own experience, for me, it wasn't something that I could just walk away from. And, and it was something that I spent the rest, you know, of my life trying to walk away from and struggled in varying degrees. So, I mean, back, you know, back to the story, what Kern was saying is, is basically, you know, it's something... While I was dating Corinne, I'd kind of come to that conclusion and come to that point. I recognized I had a problem. I talked with people, you know, our church leaders, um, kind of like a pastor, we call him a bishop, off and on through my life, trying to work that out and trying to stop. And then had, had started attending some 12-step meetings in order to, to start address the problem. And this was right about the time when I met with Corinne, but I still was like, I don't think this is going to fly. I don't think this is, she's a really good person. You know, I still feel, I feel like a crappy person. You know, I feel like. Were you, know. you at that time, 
I mean, I know there was a turning point for you, but at that point where you still, I know there were times in your life where you're like, this is just a tendency. This is just like, yeah, yeah. There's there. I think I, were you there or were you like, I was past it when we met, I think for a long time leading up to that, I think it was like, ah, I have a tendency. I have this challenge that kind of comes and goes. And I didn't really, I never would, would necessarily have called it an addiction, but I think that it got to a point where you know, frequency, duration, and all, you know, it just got to a point where I recognized, like, I'm like, okay, this is, this is unmanageable. This is out of control. This is negatively affecting my life. Like, yes, I have an addiction. I'd accepted the fact that I had something beyond a tendency and, and really that I was struggling with, you know, an addiction. And I'd, I'd come to that conclusion. And so was addressing that and really just felt, I, I kind of had, pre, I had a preconceived notion of what Corinne's response or what, you know, I mean, what your response would be mm-hmm. to that. If you told me. I'm like, if I told her she's, she's out, man, like she's, she's going to, she's going to bounce. But you like, hadn't it's told done. anybody really. I hadn't told any girl I'd ever dated. Um, and I'd only told my brother, Dave, and then I think I'd talked to my mom about it. But beyond that, no one really knew other than bishops or, or our, our leaders in our church that I'd worked with. Mm-hmm. So so we break up. Christmas was miserable. Just kidding, not miserable. But I remember being, I cried a lot. I was very sad. And then after Christmas, I remember just feeling like this just doesn't make sense. Like everything was going so great. I just don't understand. So I picked up the phone and I called Dylan and I was like, Seriously, I just, I just don't understand. Like, I thought, like, you told me you loved me. Like, everything was going so great. I just don't get this. And he was like, okay, you know, put on your coat. I'm going to come over and let's go on a drive. And it was, it was snowing that night in Utah. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, and this was like something super, I, I actually talked a lot to my brother about it. I mean, I was at a place where I was trying to work on it and really I started going to 12 step meetings from, uh, just a non-denominational 12-step meeting and, you know, would talk to, Dave was kind of the only person that knew, um, aside from my mom and, you know, people at these meetings that I didn't really have a close relationship with yet. But so we talked it out and I remember talking to him. I'm like, man, like, what do I do? I know she's, she kind of wants a reason and wants to know why I'm breaking things off when they're going so well. Like, what do I say? And I think he was super cool. He, he just was like, Hey, you know what? Like, she's an amazing person. Like she's, she's so like, you never know, you never know what's going to happen. And why don't you just like, why don't you just chance it? Why don't you just take a chance on it? And, and I think it's, I think it's a good thing. This is all new to me, by the way. Oh, sorry. This is what he said. Things okay. That, the things that come no out in these podcasts. Idea. Yeah. Dave was actually the one that, that, that totally advocated for it. News to me. That's cool. Um, Thanks Dave. But anyway, so, so I was like, all right. So I took her on a drive. We drove up to, you know, the canyon. I kind of parked, parked the car in this overlook and I'm like, okay, so you probably, you want to know, you know, why? And you asked a question about why did things break off? And I'm like, you know, I've struggled with a whole life. No, nope. my whole, she probably mm-hmm. remembers this better than I do. Go well, ahead. I will never forget. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> he just looked at me, his hands were kind of shaking and like, he looked down at his hands and then he looks over at me and he goes, I have a problem with pornography. And I just, those words, I was so taken aback. Like, in a million years, I would never have predicted that that would be what was going to come out of your mouth. So. And that was the first, that was super uncomfortable. That was the first time I ever told that to anybody that I was dating. And so my thought was, I said it, 
okay. And I kind of said it to myself. I'm like, okay, now you can run, run far, run fast. And it was kind of like a pretty much almost like a closure thing. Like, Hey, you probably need this for your closure, but you know, okay, now, now you can turn and, and be satisfied that like, okay, yeah, yeah. I'm glad that we broke up and let me just go about my business and you know, you figure yourself out. So I honestly thought that's how it was going to go. And so I, I was pretty much planning on just driving her back home and dropping her off and us parting ways and, and, you know, all right, we'll see you later. But that's not what happened. I can't even really remember what you said. I think, I don't even remember what you said. I don't really either. I just remember the only thing I remember was feeling, it's absolutely insane to think of this, but I remember feeling peace. I remember feeling like, you know what? It's okay. And we kind of talked through it and I asked some questions and then we kind of decided to start dating again. I don't know. We we started dating and it was very like murky, like muddy waters at first, like not really knowing how to navigate that. Like, was he going to tell me? We tried all kinds of things too. And we would be here all day long if we tried to tell you all the things that we and tried. We like set up. I'm like, like, okay, let oh, me check in check with in. you once a week and tell you how the week went. Or yes, I looked at something. No, I didn't. Like we went through that. We went through, I think, a you know, and then I'd been going to these 12 step meetings. And so I initially I'm like, okay, well, let me, you know, let me use kind of like use her as my sponsor. Like, you're, you know, they talk about sponsors or somebody to help you work your program or work the steps Be accountable to. or an accountability mm-hmm. partner. So let me, you know, yeah, let me, Corinne's awesome. And let me, and I think that that was we a set whole up like some program that would like alert me if something, whatever, like some, like a website was looked at or whatever. Like that was a joke. Just, because... I think it created a lot of unhealthy kind of codependent type stuff yes. in our relationship that just created a, this, this kind of cycle of, of, you know, it, it just was not we a good thing, but I, we that. didn't we had even no know. Idea. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even know what I was just trying to do my best and trying to face a problem and I'm we like okay were. like we're we're just trying to work together on this thing. Well, and I looked at Neil and the thing that attracted me the very most to him, I mean he's an attractive dude for sure, but the, the I hope so. <laughs> truly I the hope thing that. the thing that attracted me to him the very most was that when I met him our first conversation, like not our first, he like made some like, you know, joke to me like when I woke up on the houseboat in like Powell with like 50 people about sleeping on the floor. But after that, the first like real conversation where we sat down, Hey, you know, who, who are you? Nice to meet you. What's your story? Whatever. We talked about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, our first conversation. And that was so attractive to me that that was not something that Neil was ashamed of. He wasn't too cool to talk about the gospel. And I think that because he had a real desire to do the right thing and to overcome this challenge of his and to seek a solution, I I was willing to go pretty far with him because I could always feel that his intention was was there, like the intention to find solution. But we just didn't find for a lot for years. <laughs> we would try and fail over well, and over. Well, yeah, and, over. and and I think. Th- you know, we, all through our courtship, we were kind of, you know, trying to work that component of it out. We, I, you know, became aware of an outpatient recovery program that I started going to. And part of it was, you know, the first part of it was like, Hey, go with your, bring your spouse. She needs to be educated. So we were kind of, we were starting to get pretty serious at that point. And so I was like, why don't you just come with me to this thing, even though Mm -hmm. we're not married yet, but I think it'd be a good thing. And I talked to, you know, a therapist I've been talking to, 
we're working with. And he's like, yeah, you know, let's, let's get, get her in and, and kind of get some education going. So we started that. And, and I think for me, it, I think it was good. I think I learned a lot about the ins and outs and the science behind addiction and how that works and how it affects a relationship and, you know, all of the mechanics, so to speak. And then also a lot of really great tools or things that you can do. And then, you know, you're, you have a, an ongoing group that you're a part of for, you know, the, uh, it was a couple of years that I was a part of this group, um, recovery outpatient program. And so I think that I was working on it, but I still like, I still just, man, I just, I still struggled. And it was the most frustrating thing ever. It was like cycles. He would go on so cycles of like frustrating, like white knuckle, which means like, you know, like picture like gripping a steering wheel as hard as you can like trying to not like i'm not gonna do it i'm not gonna yeah. do it and then it's like you do it you know it's kind of like you're you're looking you know you're riding your bike and you're like i'm not gonna run into this rock i'm not gonna run into this rock and then you are staring at it and trying not to do it so you smack dab run into it and and i think for me that was the most frustrating thing is because i could tell you inside and out i can tell you what's going on in my brain when, when a trigger happens, I can tell you the exact reason why, like I'm frustrated, I'm feeling this negative emotion, like all of these things are being triggered, but I would almost like watch myself go through that whole process and then end up, you know, engaging in the addiction again. And that was the most frustrating thing. It was like having all of the answers to the test given to you, like, okay, these are the five questions. It's, you know, answer A, B, C, D, E, and then for whatever crazy reason, I write down different answers and I know it's wrong. Like it's the most frustrating feeling, but I, I felt like I just couldn't, I don't know. I just couldn't get traction. I get some time and then I'd, I'd what we call relapse or engage in the addiction again. So I finally got enough, I guess what we would call time or sobriety in our relationship to where we were ready to get married in the temple, which for our faith and our, and our religion, you got, you have to meet a certain standard of obeying the, the commandments or certain standard personal of purity, worthiness, per, yeah. personal worthiness, I think is the best way to put it. Just where, so like, it's part it's, of that's abstaining from pornography or living the law of chastity is basically is what it would be. Right. And that's like a kind of like a code of conduct that you agree to when you go to the temple and you make certain promises that we, you know, we can put a link in the show notes too of like what the temple means to us and what members of our church do in the temple. But that's, yeah, that's something that was really important to us. And so we did, we were, we got married in the temple and I remember being just so happy. So like nothing could stop us from that happiness that day. It was just like pure joy. And it wasn't the most fancy or most expensive or even well attended wedding or but we had fun and and I just remember that day just feeling so much joy and feeling like we did the right thing but it was pretty soon after that like kind of just yeah I mean that, right and that was that was an awesome ex <laughs> it was a great experience like that was so I think we I felt like we had really prepared for it Mm -hmm. I felt like I was ready. I felt 100% confident to be there and was, I felt, you know, totally. like I knew I was worthy. Yes. And, and, and it, and I think at that point I kind of had that thought of like, all right, cool. I'm married now. Like I can and, turn my back on that. And then obviously like the intimacy part, you can, you know, now that's something prior to marriage, we believe in abstinence. So now, you know, I don't have to be abstinent anymore because I'm within the bonds of marriage. Like pornography should never, you know, it's not going to be a problem again. 
Um, but I quickly learned and realized that that's not with addiction and with addiction to pornography. Like it's kind of two for me two it's two separate things. One way is, is, is kind of the, the way it's supposed to be where it's really about connecting with another person and experiencing that in the way that God had intended for it. And then the other way is really driven by, you know, selfishness and lust and, and using that part of life in a way to numb out, numb out, escape, Mm -hmm. or it's the same way that you would abuse like a, a prescription drug. One of the most helpful things that I ever heard during this like real up and down time was when someone described pornography addiction as pain management. And that took the power out of like, oh, you know, like I feel like for so many years, Satan wanted me to feel like when your husband does this, this means that he doesn't love you. He's, yeah, he, he's not attracted to you or he doesn't love you or what he's finding that somewhere else or with someone else or fantasizing about whatever. Really, what it was, was just the same way that an alcoholic is like, I feel sad, overwhelmed, burdened, lonely, despair, whatever, and I'm going to go drink my problems away and not have to think about it for a few hours. Like, it's kind of the same, right? It was, yeah, it was the same thing. I mean, it was basically, and, I, and that's what I learned in this, the, the program that I did go to and learning the mechanics of it and science is, you know, you fill in the blank. I mean, you put in addiction, it's like... You know, I'm trying to cope. It's a coping mechanism. I can't handle my life. You know, it gets stressed out. It gets too much to the point where it's unmanageable. So I need a solution. My solution became pornography. Like I, I didn't turn to drugs or alcohol because I'd, I'd made a commitment to one of the, you know, my brothers that had passed away at an early age that I, I wouldn't engage in drugs or alcohol, but pornography was the one that I found that I thought was my solution. And that but became what is James, the, the what problem. What does James say always about having a problem? The problem, you don't have a problem. The problem has you. Yeah. And that was, that was kind of like early on, that's kind of a, more about denial. Like, oh no, 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 I'm good. I'm good. I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem. And you're saying that to yourself. And the reality is, is the problem has you, like you're addicted and you don't even know it. And so I think I went through that phase and, but eventually overcame it. But I, I think, so we want to talk about solution today because I mean, yeah. there's, we could sit and talk about our story, the story forever, all day and like long. different concepts in recovery and all, you know. But really, like what it comes down to is Neil and I, with the greatest of intentions, tried everything. We tried group therapy, we tried individual therapy, we tried marriage therapy, we tried outpatient recovery, we tried, you know, Neil went to a non-denominational twelve-step program, which like. There's nothing invalid or wrong with any of those things, but no, none of those methods, and even just like meeting with a bishop, like none of those things brought the true solution. Like it it just, none of it worked 100%, you know? They were good things, but like it just, we just kept slipping in, into the same rut over and over and over. And yeah, I, mean, I, I think the intentions were there and I learned a lot of things and and even with meeting with the bishop, I think that that is actually a key thing within the Steps, 12 step yeah. 
which, you know, 12-step ARP program, which is the the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, it's their addiction recovery program or ARP program, um, is what we refer to with our, you know, what we currently attend and really what became the solution for me and for us. But within that 12-step program, they basically took 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous um, and, and got, you know, were, were allowed to have the rights to it, to use it. But then they they kind of put in the doctrines of Jesus Christ from our church or the atonement, you know, instead of a higher power, it became, you know, Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father and Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. And it talked about quotes from the apostles of our church and, you know, with regard to addiction and different things. And so they really included the component that I felt really that I, that I never could kind of tie up. Like I couldn't tie up the the mechanical side and the tools side and the, you know, even, even spiritual, what I'd been trying to do was kind of a different spiritual was more like with myself and meditation and and different things, but it wasn't what I knew or, or what I personally felt to be true in my heart, which is the doctrines of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But so I felt like with with the program, the ARP program, they'd combined both. They'd taken the true, you know, the right. principles of a, of AA and then combined it with the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. Right. Well, and I think that just kind of briefly talking about how that happened for us, too, is important. So so Neil loved his 12-step, his non-denominational 12-step. He loved it. And love he still, AA, love yeah. like the big book, love, you know, I use the AA big book, 12 and 12, we used it. So it was his essay was the program that I went to, Sexaholics Anonymous. Um, and, and so they based it off of Alcoholics Anonymous, but then just kind of converted it to, you know, pornography or or sex addiction in general. So you so one time there was like a family weekend retreat thing and Neil invited me to go to my first 12 step meeting. And I walked into that meeting and people were holding hands, saying the serenity prayer, and then, you know, talking about, like, my sponsor saved me, the 12 steps saved me. And we walked out of there, and I looked at Neil, and I said, if this works for you, great. But, like, I'm sorry. Like, I just don't believe in, like, a sponsor or, like, a 12-step program saving you. Like, I believe that God saves you, like, that Christ saves you, and, and this just doesn't feel right to me. And in the meantime, like, we were still just having, like, serious marital ups and downs. And I think that that's where some of – I became kind of, like, bitter and resentful, too, because I felt like we were spending so much time, so much energy, so many resources. And we didn't have a lot of extra money. And, all like, a lot of our extra money was going to recovery, which wasn't working. So – and that was for the outpatient program. It wasn't for the the, the twelve step. Twelve steps are, free, are always but this free. This was an outpatient recovery program, right. and then but ongoing like therapy, therapy that we would go see a therapist together. Right, therapy, and, and pay for that rehab, all that stuff. So, um, and our relationship was not at a great point at this at this point. We were living in Salt Lake. This was right before we moved away from Salt Lake, and one of my friends had talked about ARP. Um, Mandy from Vintage Revivals had she had shared her story, hers and her husband's story of finding solution from addiction, I guess, through ARP. And I messaged her on Facebook and said, "Okay, we're thinking about going to one of these ARP meetings. Like, what do you think?" And she was like, "Yes, absolutely, go." She was like, "Go to a general meeting." So the first time we went, Neil and I went, and we sat down, and it was this like kind of older couple they were 
missionaries called from the church to be like volunteers to run the meeting. So it was just the two of them, a husband and wife and Neil and me. And we read through the 12 steps and then it came time to share and they were like, does anyone want to share? Neil and I are like not in a great spot in our relationship at this point. And we're like looking at like side eyeing each other going. I was cool. Uh, I, I was like, hey, sure, I'll share. Because I'd been used to going to meetings. So I was like, oh, you know, yeah, I'll he share shared. I it. was just, you know? I was annoyed at that point. Like, I just felt like, hey, we've just been trying everything. And I'm I'm burned out at this point. And, I'd, and to be fair, too, I was being lied to. And a lot of, you know. There's a just, lot of bad stuff. I mean, yeah, there's the trust pretty much gets burned out. And that that was, you know, for me lying about the addiction, hiding it, no, I'm good, and then lying about it. And then she finds out, oh, you're still engaging in your addiction and you're, you're not, you know, telling me, but you're telling me that you're okay. And like doing that over and over and over and over again, you burn out that trust. And so pretty much it gets to the point where anything that I'm saying really holds no weight or water because it's basically like anytime your lips are moving you're lying <laughs> and that's kind of and that's you know, kind of with addicts in general when like, you're in an active addiction that's kind of how it is yeah if if you're an addict in recovery totally different but you're an addict who's in their active addiction probably doing a whole lot of lying all the time because that's just kind of the way that goes so anyway um but going back to that story, we're sitting there in that 12-step meeting. It's really awkward. It's like this elderly couple that is looking at us going, oh, this is awkward. These guys are obviously struggling. And I was frustrated and resentful. But through all of those layers of frustration and resentment, I felt something. I felt the spirit. And I felt like this is a good place to be. And I knew that there was something right about it. And so we walked away from there and we kept going. We, we showed up. I don't know, a handful more times. And then we moved to California. And when we moved here, it was hard for you to find the meeting, right? That was (laughs) was like such a frustration to me because it's like, it's California. It's Southern California, highly populated area. And there was like one meeting within the radius of like 30 miles or like 50 miles or something. And I'm like, you can't freaking tell me that there's not a need for more than one meeting with all of these people, like you're all healed, you're all good, like no one's got addiction. Like I just knew from my recovery meetings that it's way more common than people realize or even know. And so that was frustrating for me, but I finally found one. I found the local one um, that was actually in our church building, which was initially like a little uncomfortable for me. I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, we're in this new ward and I'm going to roll into this building and, you know, sit down and you know, hopefully it's not you got Thursday like, night though, not like at church. It's not like, yeah, it's not during the same Sunday. time as church, but you still, I mean, every now and again, like people are looking, you know, looking for ward choir rolling in. Hey, you're like, Oh, Hey, what's up? Neil, what are you doing in here? No. So it was like, <laughs> you're just a little weird about it, but it was good. Like, but what I did find there when I started going to that meeting, the guy who ran it, he was like an old time OG AA guy. Like, Philly, really, you know, from Philly, really rough around the edges, but but was like a convert to the to to our church. So he knew the gospel. So he spoke and he he used a lot of ton of AA phrases, which I loved AA just because I'd read the big book and been a part of my my twelve step program. So I knew that program fairly well, and I like I, I loved it. I can't do it. Oh, my buddy Jay can do it. If if we oh, have Jay on, you can't no, too. no, I can't. Jay's like the best at it, <laughs> but. He would just, he would just 
speak truth and just hammer it. But he would use the ARP manual that talked about the atonement of Jesus Christ and how that how the steps are the atonement. And he looped it all together for me mm-hmm. to where, so it took that foundation that I really knew. I knew the steps that were, were developed by, um, you know, Dr. Bob and Bill Wilson. Like I, I knew that that was super inspired and that those, those were legit. And, and that like, I'm, I'm like, this is it. But then he, like the church, our church, kind of combine them all together with the gospel. And then he kind of painted that picture for me of how that all looks and how it works and how you work the steps and work the program using the gospel of Jesus Christ, which included talking to a bishop, which included using, you know, what we would call the priesthood authority, you know, through talking to a bishop and then doing an inventory and all these other things that I'd been doing, but it put, it brought it all together for me. And I'm like, this is incredible. And really had a powerful experience with it, loved the meetings, but I still admittedly still wasn't being honest and still wasn't working this. I, I wasn't working the steps. I wasn't working the program. But you came home to me and you were like, Hey, I think like these meetings are really good. I think you should go with me. Cause when we got to Southern California, I was, I was burned out of recovery and meetings and therapy and rehab and all of that I just we had spent years doing that and I was like I'm done if you want to go to these meetings fine but like I'm not doing that I'll stay home with Annabelle you go ahead and babysitters were really expensive and you know it's hard to find a babysitter too when you're brand new to an area but after about a year Neil started encouraging me he'd come home and say I really think you should go with me to these meetings I think you I think you'd get a lot out of it and there was one girl who was going to the meeting Jay's wife, Lexi, and he was like, there's this really cool chick. I think you really like her. I didn't her. say chick, by the way. I well, said girl. But, whatever. You know. oh, he probably said gal. He's like old school like that. He I likes to say gal. But I, but I remember saying but. that because I'd see there's this younger couple there. They're like a little younger than us and just really cool, really just authentic. And and like, but a lot of times in recovery, like I'd run, you know, if, if there were – there can be like a really negative sentiment, I think, from some of the wives because they've been hurt so badly badly because it's such an mm-hmm. you know it's it's an insult to at a, a really personal level you know when you have a spouse looking at pornography or acting out in those ways so i'd never really come across a, somebody another wife or you know woman in recovery who was so positive and so like hey this program works and it saved our marriage and we're together to get to today because of it and so you know lexi and his, and and jay my you know my friend that i like came to know really well in this meeting they would both share at these meetings and I was like, wow, like my wife needs to hear that. Like mm-hmm. she needs to hear, hear that, you know, her testimony of it or her experience. And I'm like, I really felt a, just a strong pull of like, you need to get Corinne to come to these meetings. And so it took a while, but finally you're like, okay. And, and I think you, you started coming kind of against your will, but. <laughs> it was rough at first. I would go and just the first couple meetings I didn't even share. I just sat and listened with my angry eyes. I was not happy to be there just because I was still actively being like lied to and there was just crap going on all the time and it was just frustrating and I just felt like, okay, here's another thing that's not going to work, but whatever. And then my first share or two was something to the tune of, I don't really like this. I don't really like these meetings. I don't really like any of you. Like I hate addicts. <laughs> I think I don't know if you said I hate addicts, I but something I hate close. Addicts, but I was just like, I'm angry and I don't really like being here. And I think this is the worst place we could possibly be. But 
you know, we'll keep coming back and hopefully something will work. I don't know. It was something like that. Just angry. And I remember later on Jay being like, yeah, that was so awkward when you would like do those shares at first. But I, I knew though, I'm like, this is good. Like it's uncomfortable. Like I, you know, I come like I'm getting thrown under the bus here, but I'm like, you know what? It, this is, this is good. She needs to be able to get this out. This is the And you're the in right a room full of other it. addicts. And that's the thing too, when people are like, oh, I'm afraid to go to like a meeting. What if somebody sees me? It's like, guess what? Dude, if you, we're all in the same boat. Yeah, guys. You walk in and you see somebody, you know, they're going to be like, oh, what? You too? Like me like, too. Thank goodness I'm not alone. You yep. know, like oh, I thought that I was terminally unique here. No. So I think that's one good thing to point out. I was never worried about people seeing me or knowing that about us i'm I'm just kind of an open book person and to a fault i was more but that way though for sure neil was, was that like, way in the beginning i really for sure. don't want anybody to know you know but as we kept going the layers of resentment and anger started chipping away just little by little because there's something magic about going to a meeting and hearing the experience of other people and i don't care how stony your heart is and mine was pretty stony at the time if you hear some husband go in there and a grown man starts breaking down crying and saying, I just want to stop hurting my family and I just want to stop hurting my wife and I don't know how. There's something about that that just would pierce my heart. And I was like, it was different hearing the exact same words from someone else that I didn't have an emotional connection to. So Neil would say the same things to me, but I would be like, yeah, you, yeah, right. You care. Like you just keep doing this to me. If you cared, you would stop. But to hear someone else with a broken heart and a contrite spirit come in and say, like, I want so bad to quit hurting my family and I just can't figure out how, that just shook my soul. And then I would hear um, James, the group leader, share. And some of the things that he shared also just rocked me. And I remember one time he was talking about how you need a sponsor and how you need somebody to walk you through the steps who's been there, who can lovingly give you direction and tell you what you, what you need to do to be able to find solution. And he was like, if you can't find a sponsor, I'll do it. I'll be your sponsor. And there was something about his humility and his genuine, just like, he just wanted to help people. And I was like, there's not, there's nothing here about this. Nobody's making any money. There's no ulterior motive other than just trying to help people find solution. And I just felt it. There was just something so true and so right about it. And there was a guy who used to go to the meetings. Like he'd come in with kind of this crazy energy. But he, I remember him saying something a couple of times that just also just hit me so hard. Where he was like, everything you need in this life is free. You can get baptized for free. You can get married in the temple for free and you can get sober for free was the last thing. And just there was, even if you don't totally believe in that, like, I don't know, for me, there was something that about when he would say that I was like, this is right. This is it. And there was also something about the truth of those 12 steps that really do work for me combined with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we would read the steps every week and it would be, we would talk about Jesus Christ, his atonement, our heavenly father. And I was like, it feels right. This feels right. Anyway, so we kept going and I started to love the people in those meetings. Even though I I still had anger and resentment toward Neil and toward the addiction, I, like I started to just feel love and compassion for other people who were struggling with the same types of things. And 
I think I, I had the same thing too. Like yeah. as I, as other wives, like it more, more kind of wives of addicts came in and I would, I would had a similar experience where like, once I heard them share and express hurt in the same way that Corinne would, you know, like you would express hurt. I'm like, wow, it's not, you know, it's not just me like that. These, my actions are having this effect on my wife and I'm hearing it from another person who I'm not directly connected to in or married to. So it, it like, it gave me that perspective to where I think that helped, helped my part of our relationship heal a bit with, and, and it was kind of just a cool format that in, in a, like it enabled that to where it was a safe place to share those feelings of, of hurt, frustration, or victories, or successes, which you focus on the solution. It's not just like a dumping ground, but also to, in hearing other people's experiences, there's just something very healing about it. Hope, H-O-P-E, hearing other people's experiences. That's an acronym that, that uh, one of the group leader at this meeting would throw out. He always throw out these acronyms. Thanks so much for joining us today. The story's not over yet, though, so make sure you come back next week to hear the rest of the story. In the meantime, if you found this episode and are needing help right now, or you just want to read some more of our story, you can go to mintarrow.com ARP to read more of our story and get resources for help. 